All right, let's open our Bibles this morning. And we're in the book of 2 Samuel, studying the life of David. Our text this morning is going to be 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 29. The topic we'll find there is this. David wants to build a house for God, but God sends Nathan to very frankly tell him no. And so the title of our message this morning is Nathan the Famous Frank Talker. Let's have a word of prayer. You'll get it later when you're eating a hot dog, also known as a frankfurter, made by Nathan. All right, there you go. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God. We come to it with real humility, uh, understanding, Lord, that uh, you're going to have a dialogue with us through this Word, this Word that your Holy Spirit inspired to be written and makes alive in our hearing. And I pray, Lord, that through it all, whatever you want to say to us, whatever work you want to do, that most prominently, Lord, we would see Jesus Christ in His grace and mercy, in His truth and love. And that we would understand, Lord, that You've changed us and are changing us into His image so that we can go out and have an effect on others. Either encourage them in their walk with You or evangelize them, Lord, and tell them that they're missing out because they don't know you. So, Lord, take your word and use it by your spirit, who is our teacher. We pray in Jesus' name, and everyone who agreed said, Amen. After I graduated from UC Riverside, I applied for a master's degree program in counseling at Cal State San Bernardino. I thought I could help people navigate through life, help them with their problems, After all, I knew everything I needed to know, having earned degrees in both psychology and philosophy. Never mind that I was a drunk and that I smoked pot all the time and that my marriage was an absolute failure. That seemed to have no bearing on my wanting to help other people. Uh, For whatever reason, I was not accepted into the counseling program. Well, they didn't know about those things and they were probably drunker than I was. But anyway... It was pretty devastating for me at the time. It was a real setback. Little did I know that very shortly Jesus Christ was going to be revealing himself to me as my savior. By the power of his gospel, he conquered my addictions and healed my marriage immediately. A little later on, he put me into the ministry where I found myself rejecting the vain philosophies of men, things like psychology, in favor of watching the Lord make disciples of men and women as his word was simply taught and personally applied. God said no to my plans in order to work in me and through me to give me the desires of my heart in a way that was consistent with the wonders of his grace and truth. Now as a Christian, I've noticed that God still sometimes says no to me to what I think are my desires. It's hard to understand at the time, but sometimes no is the very best answer. Alan Redpath put it like this. He said, I think that sometimes God has more to teach us from his denials than from his permissions. David would add his amen to that comment. In our text, God says no to David's desire to build a temple. It's because God wanted to do something bigger, something greater than David's desire to build him a house. God wanted to build David a house in the sense of making him promises about his descendants. God is going to say no to you, maybe a lot. 
You can ignore it and press on through it and you can get what you want or what you think you want or you can submit to Him and be graced with what He wants for your life. I know which category we really want to be in. And so I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, there's a house to be built for God according to His plans. And number two, there's a heart being built by God according to His promises. Let's take a look first of all at the building of the house in verses 1 through 17. Now, before we even look at the verses, I'm going to suggest the application for us today. There is a building being built in the age in which we live. It's a spiritual building. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, the whole building is being fit together. It's growing into a holy temple in the Lord. You are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so as most of you know who have been Christians for any length of time, uh, one of the pictures or the illustrations of the church on earth that God gives us is that we are His building. Uh, we are the building of God in this day and age. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter says, you are the living stones that are being built up a spiritual house. And so each one of us is a living stone being put in this building. It's built on the forever foundation of Jesus Christ. Then the apostles and prophets told us how the building was to proceed. And then it goes up from there during this age. It's up to us to use the best possible spiritual materials as we build. But it is not up to us to decide when and how and where we will build. We must build according to God's plan. Our own desires, our own assessments of needs must be subordinated to God's leading, uh, usually through the leaders that He has raised up in the local church. I think a lot of what goes on in churches today is being done by Davids who refuse to take God's no for an answer. These guys in, in this story, David and Nathan, in order to give the fullness of the teaching, David has a desire, God says no, Nathan tells him no, and we see how it all plays out. Unfortunately, for us, sometimes in our day and age, God says no, and we just go for it anyway. Uh, and, and many times we are able to accomplish what is in our heart to do what we want to do, regardless it may not be God's will. And it's a good thing. We're not talking about evil things. That's what's so interesting about this section of the Word of God. Uh, as we'll see, David had a good desire. It was a good thing, and God wanted it to be done. He just said, but you're not the man. Someone else is going to do it. And so let's get into it, beginning in verse 1 and 2. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. David had the right heart. He had the right vision. He had the right passion, but he was the wrong man for the right job. We read, we read why in first Chronicles 22. Let me read it to you. It's verses seven through nine. He's later in his life explaining this to his son Solomon. He says, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies all around 
His name shall be Solomon. I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. Now, by the way, this explanation came to David years after God initially just said no. Uh, He said no, and he told him what he was going to do for him, as we read in our text. But he didn't tell him why he said no until later on. God may or may not explain himself to you when he says no. Just know that if he does, it's a bonus. Uh, A lot of times we're trying to figure out why God might say no. Uh, It's better to just leave that alone uh, and just trust that God has your best interest in mind. Now, one thing to realize also is that God did want a temple to be built, but he had very specific criteria for its builder. We go wrong sometimes because we understand things that God wants to do, but we refuse to acknowledge we may not be the person or persons to do it. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, it is of the utmost importance that we should ever test our desires, even the highest and holiest of our desires, by the will of God. Work, excellent in itself, should never be undertaken except at the express command of God. The passing of time will always vindicate the wisdom of the divine will. And so look at verse 3. Then Nathan said to the king, Go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Nathan was a prophet. He was a spiritual guy. We like Nathan. He's a good, solid Bible character. Later on, he's going to come and have to rebuke David for his sin with Bathsheba. We, Nathan is a, is a good guy. But he initially gave David the wrong advice. God's going to tell him that night. He says, Nathan, that is not my advice for David. That is your advice for David. Go back and tell him this. The most spiritual among us can still give wrong advice. It happens when we recognize somebody's heart or their vision or their passion and what they want to do is good, but it's hard to see them and say, hey, you're the wrong man, though, for the right job. It doesn't win you a lot of points with people. I'll give you an example later on. Now, verse 4. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now make no mistake, we see from the subsequent story that God wanted a temple to be built. And we see in even the end time scenario that we frequently talk about, God was dwelling in a temple and desired to dwell in a temple among his people. He's simply pointing out here that now was not the time he wanted it built and David was not the builder he wanted to build it. It would come after David and be built by Solomon. And so David saw a need. And then he acted to try to meet that need. But God saw it very differently at this time. He saw no immediate need for a temple, either for him to dwell in or to enhance the worship experience of the people. This reminds me that we cannot become driven by perceived needs. When Jesus, for example, said, the poor you will have with you always, he certainly wasn't giving us an excuse for telling people to go away and be warmed and filled. He he wasn't saying, well, there's always going to be poor people, so just ignore them. 
That's not it at all. He was pointing out that we are always going to be surrounded by needs, either spiritually or physically, and we must therefore be led by God as to which one or ones to address and as to exactly how to address them. This is confusing sometimes in the body of Christ because uh, a lot of times you will see a need and you'll, you know, you'll say, hey, we all need to get behind this and address this. And a lot of times other people don't come on board. And there's one of two things happening. Either God is not wanting to meet that need at that time, or you're the person that's supposed to be working on that need. And uh, that's why nobody ever asks me anything anymore, because I always assume it's you when you want to do something like that. I say, hey, well, how are you going to do that? And a lot of times that's true. And so, so that's the thing. But sometimes, you know, I mean, I could think of hundreds of missionaries, thousands of missionaries that we could sponsor, uh, thousands of mission groups that we could support. Uh, it, it's, 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 it's really an amazing thing when you start to think of all the opportunity that's out there. I mean, so anybody just on paper says, okay, yeah, obviously we need to whittle this down. In your own life as a Christian, perhaps you support different groups, the church and different groups. You've had to decide who and what to support. And there are always those that are clamoring. There's lots of needs. You just can't meet them all. And you have to make a determination led by God. And this is the situation that God is presenting to us here. He says, David, yeah, you think there's a need here, but there's not because I haven't called you to meet this. Your son is going to take care of this. You can't. For various reasons. And so verse 8. Now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the sheepfold. From following the sheep. To be ruler over my people. Over Israel. And I have been with you. Wherever you've gone. And have cut off all your enemies from before you. And have made you a great name. Like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover I will appoint a place for my people Israel. And will plant them. That they may dwell in a place of their own. And move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers. I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, theologians see in these verses what is called the Davidic covenant, the God's covenant with David. God promised David and all Israel that the Messiah, who we know is Jesus Christ, would come from the lineage of David and that the tribe of Judah would establish a kingdom that would endure forever. This Davidic covenant is unconditional because God does not place any conditions of obedience upon its fulfillment. The surety of the promises made rests solely on God's faithfulness and does not depend at all on David's or Israel's obedience. Verse 14 I will be his father, he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and, will, uh, and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Now these verses specifically are about Solomon. God says, if Solomon commits sin, if he commits iniquity, I'm not going to rip the kingdom from him and give it to somebody else from another family the way I did from Saul's family to give it to you. It's a personal promise to David because he had just said, no, the throne will be in your household forever. 
Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. The covenant is summarized by the words house, promising a dynasty in the lineage of David. Kingdom, referring to a people who are governed by a king. Throne, emphasizing the authority of the king's rule. And forever, emphasizing the eternal and unconditional nature of this promise to David and to Israel. It doesn't mean that there would be an unbroken succession of kings on the throne or that the nation of Israel would never be scattered from her homeland. It does mean that there will be a kingdom in the future and one of David's heirs will be the king. Verse 17, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. It's pretty easy to be the Nathan of verse 3. Hey, I want to do this. Great. Go for it. Do it. God bless you. It's not so easy to be the Nathan of verse 17. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think God is really leading. From pulpits, you often hear messages meant to encourage you to get up out of the pew and to serve God. That's important. But sometimes Christians need to be told no as well. You're the wrong person. It's the wrong time. It's not God's leading. What? happens then how will you respond well let's see how david responded in verses 18 through 29 we're going to see there's a heart being built by god according to his promises Uh, i was drawn to something precious in verse 27 which kind of sets the tone for all of this Uh, look at that verse real quick verse 27 for you O lord of hosts god of israel have revealed this to your servant saying i will build you a house Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. If Nathan had not courageously spoken to David, or if David had stubbornly pressed forward, God would not have been able to reveal this beautiful, marvelous, intimate promise to him about building him a house. David would have built a temple, and probably everybody would have rejoiced in what a great temple it was. But they would have collectively missed God's best, and individually David would have missed out on something wonderful taking place in his heart, in his walk with God. In a sense, David would have been able to say, look what I've done for God, and not in a prideful way or in a terrible way, but God wanted to say no to him so that he could say, David, look at what I've done for you. Let's forget about what you want to do for me for a while and let's talk about what I want to do for you. And then David said he found it in his heart to pray this prayer. He uses language that indicates a search for something that was hidden or something he didn't know was there that he found. Because God said no, David found out something about God. He wouldn't even have been looking for this kind of intimacy had God not said no. This is a beautiful prayer we're going to read, an intimate prayer, a precious prayer. All of this would have been avoided and missed had David just built the temple. But David said, you said no to me and I learned something about you in your denial that I would never have learned in your permission. Something beautiful, something precious, something intimate. You know, I have to admit that when God says no to me, uh, it's like when parents say no to their children. Your kids are always bummed. I mean, they wouldn't ask you for something if they didn't want it, right? They don't like you to say no. They want you to say yes. 
That's why they argue with you and get you to say yes, and that's why they go to your mom. You know, well, mom said I could, dad said I could, and stuff. And, and so, and you don't like to say no to your kids. I, I mean, you want to give them everything and say yes to them, but you know, sometimes it, it's just not good uh, for them. Uh, and 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 yet, when God says no, and you have that kind of an attitude, it's like well, God said no to me. What we're learning from David is. There's more to learn from God's denial than from his permission. I'm going to find out something about God that I could never have known if he had let me do what I was going to do. That would have been okay. That would have been fine, maybe, in some dimension. But not as good as this. Because whatever I want to do for God is not as precious as what he wants to do for me, the work that he wants to do for me. Because after we've built temples or whatever it is that we think we're building or doing, all that's going to be left is you and Jesus Christ and your relationship with Him for eternity and what He is building for you. A mansion in heaven and a heavenly city and eternity and all. And and so this is the work that God is concerned with, is what He is doing for you. God's no's are precious. They're never setbacks. Spiritually, they are stepping stones to intimacy. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said to him, who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, God? No, this is not the manner of man. Man would say what Nathan said, go for it, do it, build. The idea that God might say no to our well-intentioned plans rarely enters the mind of man. The typical church building project might be a good example for us. First of all, it's usually assumed that the building project is a good thing. It's it's just automatic that to build is good and that's what we should be doing. Once begun, however, on that kind of a basis, the project must be completed at just about any cost. And sometimes that gets us into techniques being employed to raise the funding that are less than godly. Now, in the end, something is built. And we can look at that and say, look at what we built for God. But really, no one is saying, look at what God built into us because we maybe didn't hear Him along the way. I really love uh, what the Lord... Now, looking back, I love what the Lord did for us in our building project. If you've been around for a while, you know we're at the YMCA for 18 years. And then God opened up the door just like that for us to buy five acres of property on Fargo Avenue. And then we got that property paid off. And then we started thinking about building. We found a lender who was crazy enough to lend us a million dollars. And so we thought, okay, we have a million dollar budget. Certainly we can build something for God. So we started getting together with architects and they showed us something it was $4 million. So we said, yeah, that's not going to cut it because, you know, our figure is straight and yours has another crook on it, you know. And so, so then they came back and it was, you know, $3.8 million. And I think we finally got it down to a little over $2 million, but it didn't have a roof or plumbing. <laughs> and, and we had to confront the reality that we were not going to be able to build in our building project or... We were going to come after your second car and your mortgage and your tax refund and those kinds of things. And so we just got, I remember getting up and really disappointed saying, hey, we're not going to build. 
I don't know why we have this land. I don't know what's going on. Just shoot me in the head right now, you know. But, but uh, it was a no. It was a big no. It was the biggest no ever uh, at that point. And then after we said that, then all of a sudden, everybody was trying to sell their churches. They couldn't sell their churches. So we came here. We thought, wow, this is a nice church. This is three times bigger than what we were going to build without a roof and plumbing. <laughs> this has a roof. It has plumbing. It's great. Uh, and it wasn't $4 million. It wasn't even a $1 million. It was $850,000. Oh man, we're cruising now. And we still own the land. We didn't have to, so we're in great shape. We said, this is the way God builds. What a great building project. I like that. And, and so, good example. God says no. And in our case, at least in that case, He did something so much better for us, and we're thankful for it. Now, verse 20. What more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you've done all these great things to make your servant know them. David said, what more can David say to you? He refers to himself in the third person. We make fun of people like that. They're, it's kind of weird. Gene likes coffee. Wait a minute, you're Gene. Yeah, I know, Gene likes his coffee. Gene likes his coffee black. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. But what's happening, so you look at that and you think, well, David is looking at his life at himself from outside as if to acknowledge that God is at work building David. David says, look at what God is building. God is building David, the heart of David. He's making David more like Jesus Christ, which is what the Lord was about. He that has begun a good work in you is working to complete it. You are predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You are being changed, the Bible says, from glory to glory. In you there is a heart being built by God. It's the heart you really want when you get to the other end of it and look back. This is the heart I want. But getting there is tough because a lot of times there are denials. Because God says, you can only go further if I deny you what you think you want. Because then we can do some business together. Verse 22, therefore you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Let's say you are in need of some type of service in your home, some kind of repair. Do you care about who it is that comes into your home? Especially if they're going to be there day after day, long term, with a key, all by themselves. Oh, you betcha, Red Rider. Uh, yeah. I remember some guys that were in our home to, to fix some electronics. And uh, two young guys, you know, you know, they pull up with one of those trucks that's falling apart that has a, a magnet, three or four magnetic signs on it, you know, independent contractor. They get out of the car and they're all crazy looking. And, and I don't mind crazy looking people, you know, and stuff. But when they're on drugs, I mean, that's a little bit weird. So they're all over my house. I can't keep track of them. And then, you know, they're just kind of crazed. And I'm trying to get a hold of, you know, hey, who are these guys? And are these really your guys? And then towards the end, you know, when they always make you sign something that they were there, this one young kid, he's, he's maybe in his 20s, he's got this tool belt on he's got screwdrivers and telephones and you know wrenches and all kinds of stuff hanging out of his tool belt and he sits down on my couch i'm saying no oh you know he gets up and there's this huge grease stain now on the couch where he sat and uh, you know i call the people and say well it's just too bad you know so so you know you care about who who comes into your house you kind of monitor that and what i get from this verse is that you know, David says, there's no God besides you. Why would we ever invite something into our hearts 
to take up residence where Jesus is all we need. Uh, so often, you know, if we're not careful, there are so many influences out there in the world and even in the Christian realm, the things that people are reaching for and saying, hey, you know, Jesus is by himself. He's not quite enough. I need this or I need that. And, and why do we want to bring this stuff into our hearts, just leaving stains in our hearts when we have the simplicity of a relationship with Jesus Christ? Verse 23, and who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people to make for himself a name and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land before your people from uh, whom you redeem for, Israel, for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. David understood that God had made unconditional promises to Abraham and now to him about the forever nature of his dealings with Israel. And as we've seen, as we go through Bible prophecy each week, God is at work right now fulfilling those promises and we are the generation privileged to watch them unfold. Verse 25, Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. Now, I would be first in line to admit that this kind of rejoicing is not my immediate reaction when God says no to my plans. However, it ought to be because we know that God's thoughts towards us are what? Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give us an expected end. That's Jeremiah 29.11 that comes up on your uh, you know, daily Bible verse about three times every year because it's such a great verse. And so God says no. We think his thoughts are negative towards us. They can't be. They're only good. Now, you might argue, I'd anticipate this argument, and say, well, of course David rejoiced at God's saying no, because look at all that God promised to do for David. Do you really want to compare what God promised David with all that God has promised to us in the New Testament? It's incomparable. John 14 alone is greater than God's promise to build David a house. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That, those three verses by themselves, I think, are greater than anything God promised David. And they're just the tip of a huge iceberg of things that we could talk about in terms of what it means to be a New Testament believer filled with the Spirit of God, uh, awaiting the rapture of the church with the reward that Jesus says is in His hand to give us and the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem and eternity, etc., etc., etc. 
Yes, there are exhortations to get up and get to work as a Christian. We're told to stir up the gift or the gifts that God has given us and to serve one another and to share with others this great news about Jesus Christ. But there are also times when our best intentions must be set aside because God really does say no. Those are more than just character building times. They build intimacy with God because we now go looking for something and when we find it in our hearts, we're amazed afresh and anew at His grace, at His mercy, at His forgiveness with His love. Let's pray.